good morning. It's great to be with you uh, this morning. Welcome. Uh, we are Cultivate, and if you're visiting with us morning, this morning, welcome. Um, we hope that you experience this morning something of being part of a family. And uh, it's not because we're all blood relatives, at least in the sense of us having common ethnicity, but we share the blood of Christ, which is uh, the, the thing which gives us forgiveness and makes us a family. And so uh, we, we gather as a family, and, and we hope that uh, you get to experience what it's like to be part of the family of God and all the, the blessings that come through that. So if we're blessed, and we believe that we are because of Jesus, uh, then we want to be a blessing to those that are among us. We've been going through a series in the book of Acts, and we're continuing that really all throughout uh, the year 2014. It's kind of a long book, so we're taking a year to do it. And uh, what we've been saying is that the book of Acts is the book of all that Jesus continued to do through his church. And since we are his church, we're reading it from the perspective of what is Jesus continuing to do in the first days of his church, and then what is he continuing to do in this day in his church. And so we're, we're listening from the perspective of what is God doing? What has God done? How is he going to continue to work in us? Because we believe by faith that we've been given the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And so we have the ability to live a new life and a life that proclaims Jesus in all that we do. And so that, that's what we're looking at throughout this, this uh, series. So last week what we did was we looked at uh, the last part of, the, of chapter 2. Today we're going to be in chapter 3 if you want to follow along. I encourage you because it's kind of a long section, so you, you probably want to read along today. If you're going to follow along in the books that we have, it's on page 757. Last week what we looked at was we saw a snapshot of what the community looked like in those first days. And Luke, the writer of Acts, is giving this this overview of what's happening in the, this community. And he's saying there, there's all kinds of things that are going on. They're devoted to all these different things. And God is working in a number of different ways. And one of the things that Luke says is everyone in this community um, and those that were touched by it were filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The apostles were the leaders. Apostle means sent ones. Um, they were sent by Jesus to lead this new community. And so chapter 3, what, what that is, is Luke is starting to give us an example of what this looked like in real life. So he's saying signs and wonders, miraculous things were going on in the community. Now I'm going to give you an example of one of those things. But we shouldn't take this as being just a one-time event. He says many things are happening in this community. So we should be reading this from the perspective of that there there are things like this that are going on all the time. And Luke is trying to give us an example of what that looks like. And all throughout Luke's, Luke's work, this, this book of Acts, what you're going to see is that there's a pattern going on. And we're going to see this pattern over and over and over again. And the pattern goes something like this. God saves a people for himself through Jesus. And, and that people, both men and women, young and old, slave and free, absolutely everyone, are saved by the work of Jesus. And then the, the people of Jesus pray to Jesus to ask, what do we do now that you saved us? What do we do now that you've given us a mission? And, and then Jesus works. He, he tells them what to do. And then filled with Jesus' spirit, they go out and they are Jesus' people on Jesus' mission, filled with Jesus' presence, proclaiming everywhere they go, 
what Jesus has done. And then every once in a while, somebody in the middle of all this kind of extraordinary stuff that's going on has to get up in the middle of it and go, here's what's happening. Let me explain to you. And so that's, that's what we're going to read today. That's what Peter does here. And so just so you know, this is my, my dream for our church is that we would be acting in a very similar pattern, is that we would see the life of the church working in a very similar way, that, that God is working in and through all of us, not just me up here, not just those who are leading programs and ministries, not just the not just the activity that goes on in the building, but that, that Jesus is literally saving all of us all the time and that he's filling us with his presence. He's sending us out to be among people that don't yet know him. He's giving us the words and the power to say that would give him credit for the kinds of lives that we're living. And, and this is really my prayer, is that people, when they come on a Sunday morning, would be coming not to, not just, not to hear a good sermon, They would be coming because they've seen a good sermon in you. Do you see what I'm saying? They would be coming on a Sunday morning going, I need an explanation for the kind of life that I see people living before my very eyes. It doesn't make sense to me. And then in the middle of that, we would go, "It's, it's actually not us. It's Jesus and what he's done. It's all about him. And so if you're here this morning hoping to get a good sermon. My hope for you is that you would leave here with a higher reason for being here. And that that is so that you would be equipped to be a good sermon. It's really my hope for all of us. So so that's what's happening. So let's read. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 3. And uh, we're actually going to spill over into chapter 4. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, Look at us. You get this idea that maybe he was, his eyes were not gazing at them. There was some kind of shame going on with this man. And so the man gave them his attention and expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then, for the very first time, he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. God's people filled with God's Spirit, doing amazing things. Now here comes the explanation. And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said this to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, 
You handed him over to be killed and disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is by Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that was given to complete this healing in him, as you all can now see. Now, brothers, I know that you have acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would come and suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that you may and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to come and restore everything as is promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken and foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. He he said to Abraham, Thus your offspring, or through your offspring, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Verse or chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed. Modern translation, they were really ticked off. <laughs> because the apostles, they were teaching the people and proclaiming that the name of Jesus and his resurrection of the dead. And so they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed in the number of men, so that's just men, so add to that women and children, grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a crippled man, and you're asked by what name that he was healed, then know this. Like if, if you have a problem with somebody getting healed and want to know where it came from, know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He, Jesus, is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's the story. What's interesting in this is that you hear the pattern, right? You hear that Peter and John, who happen to be the leaders in the church, but they're with everybody else, they're continuing a pattern of life where they're going to the temple to pray three times a day. It's just the Jewish custom, and they continued to do this. 
And in their everyday normal pattern of life, they encounter somebody who God obviously directs them to, and they do something miraculous that can't be explained by anything but God's activity. And then people watching this happen go, wait, we saw this guy every day his whole life. He's outside the gates. And now he's inside. He's praising God. He's leaping around. And so Peter goes, here's what happened. It was the work of God, but it was in the name of Jesus that this went on. If you, I don't know if you realize this, but in Levitical law, you can look this up in Leviticus chapter 21, the man who was lame outside the gate wasn't allowed to participate in worship. I mean, imagine the, the center of society is the temple. Everyone goes there to meet with God, to meet with his people, to pray. And you, your entire life, you can't go to the center where God is. Your whole life, you're stuck on the outside looking in. Your whole life, you're left wondering, I'm just, I guess I'm just excluded. I guess, this, this, I, think, I guess God isn't for me. And the only thing that you hope for your entire life is just to gain some pity from people in the form of coins so that you can continue to live and come back every day, be drugged there by your friends to sit at the same gate and have pity on you. I mean, that's not much of an existence, right? But how many of us, I mean, if we're being honest, we sort of live that way. We kind of live lives that are distant from God. We feel like we're not invited in. We're thinking that he could never love us. Or we never really hope for anything more than the mundane or just the few dollars that somebody might shed upon us. He's just accustomed to life as a cripple. He doesn't, and the funny thing, he doesn't even ask to be healed, right? And his expectation level is just so low. It's like, whatever. How many of us have gotten accustomed to life as is? And we think, man, there's, there's nothing able to change it. I'm just going to have to learn to live with it, to learn to live with what I've got and never hope for anything more. Peter and John, when they meet this guy, they aren't satisfied with this man living as he is anymore. They have confidence that God can change his world and and that God actually has the power to heal someone who is lame. I'm guessing that they probably know the prophecy of Isaiah when he says this is what it's going to look like when the kingdom of God breaks into the world. He says, then the lame will leap like a deer. And the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. And and the way that Luke is writing the story, he's going, this is evidence that God's kingdom has come and broken into the world. And he's recounting this story because he doesn't want us to miss the fact that Jesus is king and he's starting to reign on this world. Do we believe that? I mean, you might say, okay, well, that's fine and good, but this is a great story at all, but uh, it doesn't really happen. It's like one of those stories you tell, it's a big fish tale, you know, and the guy really wasn't a, a cripple, but he, you know, he just sort of fallen asleep by the gate and Peter, you know, picked him up and great story, not true, right? Well, listen to the way that Luke tells the story. I mean, he gives the, the time and the location of the event. And he says, this happened in view of everyone, and everybody knew about this guy. So he's saying it in such a way where he's going, 
You know that guy that was at that place, that gate, every single day for the last decades? You know that guy. And everyone would have gone, yeah, I know that guy. Because they all seen him. That guy, that's the one that it happened to. He is completely healed. And he's jumping around like a deer praising God. So if it wasn't true, Luke would have had all kinds of people going, you know, you're just a liar. That guy's still by the gate. He, he, he hasn't been healed. He's still there. See, we, we want to, I guess, explain it, right? We, we want to reduce it so that it's manageable because, well, oftentimes we don't see this sort of thing in our lives, right? It's hard for us to imagine someone that you've known as a crippled man your entire life get up and start walking. And the only experience that we have of something happening like that is on our televisions, and it comes shortly before someone asking for all of our money. Right? Do you believe that people can still be healed in the name of Jesus? The question I was really wrestling with this week as I came to this passage. There's no way around it. When you get, that's the thing about doing verse-by-verse verse studies through a book. You get to passages and you go, I, I don't know how to explain this. And I don't know what to do with this. And, and it, it's a, like a fork in the road. Either you believe it and believe that God is still doing it, or you believe that it's not there and, and, and that he doesn't continue to do it today. And, and to be honest, I'm, I was just thinking through my own life, and I wish I had all these stories that I could come and tell you and go, yep, God did this, and God did that. And I've just like got this whole bank of stories to share with you to increase all of our faith that God can continue to do this today. And maybe you have stories, and, and we could just spend time listening to the stories that, that you would tell, and I would love to hear those, but may, maybe afterwards. But as, as I was praying about this, I... I came to this conclusion. I believe in my head that God continues to heal. I believe it with my mind. I'm convinced as I read my Bible that God has not ceased to do this. And there tends to be two people when they view stories like this. There, there are those people that w- would be uh, cessationists, which would say God, God did do that, in fact. We believe what the Bible said, but shortly after the book of Acts, he stopped doing it. It's Those works cease to to continue. I don't see any evidence for that. And so in my mind, I'm going, everything within me says that God continues to heal. That's called a continuationist. But even though I believe it in my mind, my heart has a hard time believing it. And my eyes have a hard time seeing it. Because that's, to be honest, it hasn't been my experience. So, so as I was reading through this, I'm going, God, would you increase my capacity to believe this in my heart and not just with my mind? Let me ask then, why, why is it that we don't believe this with our hearts or see it with our eyes more often? What do you think some of the reasons are? Fear of what? Yeah. Yeah, fear of failure is a huge one, right? I, I remember I was I was part of a group that was, um, our church had a, 
kind of an evangelistic Bible study as part of what we were doing, and I was helping to lead that. We had a number of people that were investigating faith and, and coming to faith in Jesus. And one of the women that we were, you know, in community with was uh, she had cancer. And she was coming out to the group, and she was hearing all these things. She's like, I'm just, I'm not sure that I believe, but I want to believe. And she was kind of growing in that. And every week when she would come, I would feel this tension. Because as the weeks went on, we would introduce prayer, you know, and, and, and as part of what it means to, to live under the rule of Christ. And, you know, that's a major part of who we are. And so we didn't start with that, but we would increase with that. And so as we increased with prayer throughout the, the ten weeks of this group, each week, like, the, the pressure got greater on me because I said, like, we should pray for her healing. And I remember every week going, yeah, but what if God doesn't move? I was afraid. And I let the fear kind of dominate me, and it kept me from praying those. I would, I had no problem praying for them, you know, singularly on my own afterwards or throughout the week when we weren't around, but did I have the, the faith in Jesus' name to actually pray for it with her hearing? I was afraid that he wouldn't show up and that she wouldn't believe, right? It's a major reason that we don't do that. What, what else? Fear of judgment. That we might be judged by others, right? Yep. Yeah. Sure, Yeah. So sometimes we discount the spiritual healing as being a miracle, too, right? So people come to faith in Jesus. What is that? That is death to life. <laughs> like, <laughs> who does that apart from the Spirit of God breaking into somebody's life, right? Yet we attribute that to them getting it. Oh, they just, they came to a place where they believed and they had faith. And they, you know, and we, we put all the, the emphasis on their activity rather than God was the one to actually raise a dead person, you know? Um, it, you know, or, or we kind of misunderstand, you know, what healing's all about. Um, or we give credit to, you know, to human. I mean, I, I'm thinking, like, in the first century, if they knew the medical advances that we have today, they'd go, what could that possibly be other than a miracle? The fact that you could, like, operate on somebody that has an organ failing, you can replace it with another organ, and they can live for another 60 years. That wasn't happening <laughs> in the first century, right? James. Well, we're going to see it's not so rare and special as we keep going. That's <laughs> as you keep reading the book of Acts, you go, okay, it happened again, and it happened again, and it happened again, and it happened. So, so I understand that thinking. There, There is a bit of a, like, but if we all knew a crippled person and they rose up and walked, I don't care how many times that happens, we're still considering it a miracle, right? It's still special in the eyes of people because we go, how could that happen apart from the activity of God? Yeah, so, I mean, in, in that sense, do we have the faith to ask and yet be okay with the answer of no, Right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, every day we all see miracles. We're just not, you know, interpreting them as such, right? So we interpret them to a bunch of other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Oftentimes we want a miracle to happen in an area that God isn't working in our lives, and we know he's working in another area, but we're just so focused on other stuff that we don't actually go, okay, God, heal this area, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, there are a number of things that we could think of and look at. Um, one, of the, one of the major reasons I think that we don't believe that God can do miracles and that we don't have um, maybe eyes to see those miracles is because we've placed our faith in something that can't provide us miracles. We, we've put our faith into things which, which by their very nature cannot provide what we think we would see if we saw a miracle. We've misplaced our faith in something. Um, faith is by nature putting your weight, putting the weight of your life onto something. So it's, you know, if there's a wire that's spanning across Niagara Falls, you know it's taut, you know, like you have confidence in your mind that it's attached at both ends, nothing would happen if you went out on it. And then you go, yeah, I have faith that, you know, if I walked out on there, I'd be okay. And then you walk away, you know. Is that faith? No, because you haven't placed yourself in a, in a place of risk for you to have faith in what you're placing it in. You have more faith in the ground that you're standing on than in what you could be standing on. So faith is what you're standing on. And you know what you have faith in because it, it's what's most precious to you and it's, what's, it's, it's the ground which you run to when things are most shaky in your life. So when times of, of difficulty and trouble and relational conflict and things, when those things happen to your life, what is the ground that you run to and stand upon? That's what you have faith in. And so you might have faith in a job, and you think everything else goes haywire. I go back to my job, and things feel normal. I get a paycheck. I like the people that I work with. That's where I have, and, and that's what your faith is in. We can have a faith, our faith in our spouse. And we, every time something shaky happens in our life, we run to them. And how you know it is because if, your spou- if something happens to your spouse, your whole world is completely wrecked. If something happens to your job and your faith is in your job and you lose your job, you're a mess. And you're, you're unrecoverable, in a sense, because you, what's, what you had faith in was stripped from you. That could be entertainment, by the way. I was thinking of this with my son. Yesterday, we, we asked him to take a break from technology because he had been... I mean, every time we come home... Every time we get in the car, it's I want to watch something, I want to watch something, I want to watch something. And we're going, okay, time out. Tomorrow, like you can watch something now, but tomorrow we're taking a complete break from technology. We're just, we're going to do other things. And of course at the time he's like, okay, you know. The next morning he gets up, he comes into the room and he goes, and you know, he, he wants the, the iPad again. And we're going, no, I'm sorry, you can't have it today. We're taking a break. And of course you know what happens you know, all hell breaks loose in our house. He comes, he turns into a complete monster. Like just, you know, what I want, you know? And we laugh about it when it's little kids, but what happens when things happen in our life and the first thing that we do is we turn on the TV to escape what's going on in our life, you know? 
or we turn into a monster when those things are taken away. I mean, it could be our home, and our home is our refuge and our our place of of refreshing. It's our rock and our salvation. We, We could have that interpretation of a vacation. And your whole year is is just a waiting room until you get to those two weeks in July when you can finally escape from the world. Your faith is in your, your, your recreation in that point. I want you to see this really clearly. We, we can put our faith in all kinds of things, and if we put our faith in, in anything but Jesus, it will fail us in the miraculous. Please hear that. So what Luke is doing here, part of what he's doing in the story, is he's highlighting for us what we tend to put our trust in. And the first thing that he highlights for us is that we tend to put our trust in our resources. One of the reasons that we don't see miracles in our life is because we're trusting in our stuff. How does he show that? Well, in in verses 5 and 6, he says, So the man gave his attention to, to them, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So how does that highlight the fact that we tend to put our trust in our resources? Well, Peter, when he comes to this guy who's, who's begging for money, he's, he either doesn't have anything or he's a liar. Right? So when he passes by him, he says, I don't have anything. I can't give it to you. So, so he's either telling the truth or he's doing like what we often do when we're asked that question and we walk by somebody, they can hear the change jingling around in our pants and they go, you're a liar. Right? Why is it that Peter wouldn't have anything to give him? Why do you think? Why would he be penniless when he's walking by this guy? What's that? Yeah, he's yeah, he's had a bad run at fishing, right? Or he emptied his pockets knowing that he'd, you know, come across this guy. What did we just read in the previous chapter? He gave it away. They said he everybody in the community sold what they had and they gave to those in the community that had need. Peter was one of the people in the community. He had already given it away. Why was he able to give it away? because he didn't rely on it anymore. It wasn't the thing which gave him his source of life any longer. And so he could give it away. See, one of the things I think that keeps us from experiencing God do the miraculous is that we trust in our stuff way too much. We trust in our money, and we trust in our house, and we trust in our car, and we trust in our retirement accounts. And we think when we trust in those things because they look so stable to us. They seem so rock solid in the day that we trust in them. And we think it's those things that are going to rescue us. It's those things that that are going to give us our identity. And we put our trust in what we have rather than saying, all that I have is Jesus. And, And because Jesus is the king and owns everything, I'm going to trust him instead of what I have. And if God calls me to give away what I have, then I will trust him because he's king and I'm not. Instead of living lives where we pretend that we're the king. See, what do you have to do if you're the king? 
You need to manage all the resources in your kingdom. That's what happens when you're the king. And so when you're the king of your life, you look at your bank account, and rather than seeing it as a steward on the behalf of another king, you treat it as if it's your kingdom, and you go, no, I won't use it. For that king, I'm going to use it for my kingdom. So what if we were people that actually used our resources for the sake of the king first, trusted in the king first, and then allowed the king to work through our resources as he chose See, the reason that Peter was able to, to be open, even open, to, to, to being used by God in the miraculous is because he had his hand open already. Everything that God gave him into his hand, it's still open. And so God can choose to wipe things off of my hand and to give to other people, and that's okay because he's going to keep giving things into my hand. It's going to remain open. The moment I close my fingers around what God has given me, then I no longer have the ability to receive what God would give me to use for somebody else. Because Peter's hand was open, God gave him the power to actually work in someone else's life in the miraculous. What if the reason that we don't see and experience the power of God daily is because we're trusting in the power of our stuff more than him? And here's how you know it'll happen. This is the indication. The things that you trust in become the obstacles to God working in your life. I, I would trust God more and I would see him do more if only I had a bigger bank account. I would, I would allow God to work in me. I would invite people into my home if only I had a bigger home. I would get out on the mission of God if only I had a different schedule and a different job. I, I would do all these things. I, I would... I would be obedient to God in what he asked me to do if only I had more information on how to do it. It's the obstacles that keep us from doing it. Secondly, we tend to, we, we're prone to trust in our abilities. Peter saw this and he said to them, Men of Israel, why does it surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had the ability to make this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. In other words, don't think that it was us that was able to pull it off. It was Jesus. It was him doing it through us. It was his ability, his power at work in us, not ours. I, I, man, I think of my own life, and I think of, of all the times I trust in my own ability to do things. I'll just be honest with you, this week, as I was thinking about getting up here today, I, I just, I felt like I don't have the ability to do it this week. I don't feel like I'm in the place where I could do a well enough job this week. I was feeling that last night at about midnight. It's ironic, right? Coming to give a sermon on not trusting in our abilities and all I'm thinking about are my own abilities and how they're inadequate. But we do that, Right? Constantly we do that. We think in terms of what we can pull off. I want you to know, God doesn't change lives because you're good at changing lives. He, he works in spite of you. God's powerful to change lives because that's what he does. And he's powerful enough to change lives and he does it in such a way that he gets the credit, not you. And he can use whatever voice he wants to use. So if it's yours 
then, then have faith in his name, not in your ability. See, we kind of have this, well, if I could just be more attitude. If I could be more like this person, or if I could, if I had the ability to speak like Jay, then maybe I would talk about Jesus more. If I had the ability to pray like this person, then I would be more prayerful. If I had the ability to do this. And, and in a sense, what we're doing is, this is our thinking. If only I was God, then I could change people like God. Rather than only God is God and he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God uses the useless things to show his power through them. And so if he can use prostitutes and tax collectors and fishermen, if he can speak even through the mouth of a donkey, then he can use one like me. Right? See, Peter's going, we're not trusting in our own power. We're trusting in his power. So the question I would ask you is, are we not seeing the power of God because all of our thoughts are concentrated only on what we're capable of? It's a recipe for the mundane. Third, we're prone to trust in our goodness rather than in Jesus' goodness. Men of Israel, he says, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness? We had made this man walk. So it wasn't our good behavior, or it wasn't our ability to do this, but it wasn't our good behavior either that, that somehow made God smile on us so that we could do this. It wasn't that we were going to pray and being good Christians. It wasn't that we were keeping all the rules correctly. It's not about us. God just chose to do it. Later, in the passage, we saw that the religious leaders were the ones that were ticked off at them. And one of the main reasons is because they believed that it was all about their goodness. That they could somehow construct a life in such a way that if they lived it good enough, then God would come. Then God would break in. Then God would do the miraculous. It was primarily up to them. Does this sound familiar? I mean, I see it all the time. I, I was talking to somebody this week who um, was having problems with a business that they own, and uh, th- there were some people that weren't saying some very nice things about the business. And she, over and over again, she kept coming back to this idea of karma, it, that it was all about karma, and that because you know she was doing everything that she had to do, then God would come and bless her, and because they weren't doing the things that they should be doing, that God was going to punish them. But she kept going back to this idea over and over and over again. If I live a good enough life, then God will bless me. And because they haven't lived a good enough life, God will curse them. Oftentimes when people talk about karma, it's a way for them just to hold on to grudges. Because it puts them in the seat of power where they're thrust into a situation where they have absolutely no power. And so it comes down to a fact of like, well, if somebody's harmed me, then they're going to get theirs. And because I wasn't involved in the harming, God is going to bless me because I'm innocent. Now the good news is that because I know this about her now, and we have a relationship that's forming, I have the opportunity to tell her about grace. The fact that it wasn't our good behavior that makes God smile on us. It was Jesus' good behavior. He lived the perfect life, and because he lived the perfect life on our behalf, 
we get to be the children of God regardless of what we've done. His grace falls on us because our sin fell on Him. That's the Gospel. That's grace. It's, it's some, sometimes we look out into the world and we go, yeah, I mean, how, how idiotic could the world be that they don't understand grace? Here's the, here's the truth. It's as much in churches as it is in the world. Absolutely. I mean, we, we often, I mean, I have the opportunity to spend a lot of time with church leaders now. God has given me that opportunity. And one of the things I hear over and over again is, well, if, we, if our church could just get its act together, then God would work. If we would just pray more, then God would show up. If, if we were just better, more, more, more moral people, if we were just, all of that, then God would do it. That's not the gospel. I was with one group of people, and they were a, a team that's planning a church down near Atlantic City. And I was hearing somebody share um, about their experience of being part of the, the church planning team. And, and they had moved up from Florida to, to the shore in, in Atlantic City just to be part of this new church that was forming. But as she talked, it, it, was all, it, it kept going back to guilt and shame. And she kept saying, well, I just don't feel like I'm not in my Bible enough and I'm not praying enough and I don't feel like I'm good enough. And I just heard all this condemnation coming out of her. And one of the things she said that I thought that was really telling was, I'm afraid that if I'm not doing all those things, then God won't use me here. Do we have that mentality? What that is, is is a mentality where, where you're you and I are actually placing more of our faith in our goodness than we are in God. And we're focusing more on our behavior than on the grace of God that comes through Jesus. And and this passage, it's reminding all of us that it doesn't work that way. God does despite you and me. And so we get to experience God not because our lives have authority, it's because His name has authority. The reason I'm able to stand up here isn't because I've lived a good life this week. It's because I've known a good Savior. The reason that you're going to go out this week and, and, and I hope see God do the miraculous through you isn't because you went to church this week or prayed this week or read your Bible this week. It's because you're the people of God and you have faith in the name of Jesus to do more than you can do because He's better than you. Do we have faith to know that and believe it and see it in our lives? What have we been placing our faith in that doesn't have power? We've been placing it in ourselves. There, There are many sources, there are many voices out there that will say this to you. Just trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. I mean, have you heard this? They're Christian voices. Turn on Christian radio. You'll hear the same message. I can't stand it. I don't, I mean, <laughs> but I don't spend a whole line, t- lot of time listening to Christian radio for that r- one reason. It's not because I don't like the songs. It's because I can't stand what they say in between the songs. <laughs> it's positive encouraging. You can do all things. No, Jesus can do all things. And if you have faith in His name above yours, you'll, you might see some of them. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in himself is a fool. 
What's your trust in? Is it in your possessions? Is it in your abilities? Is it in your goodness? And if so, the question we often ask is, how's that working for you? If the answer is not good, then that's actually God's grace to you, reminding you of your need to put your faith in something better and bigger. So Luke's reminding us that we need to put our faith in the name of Jesus. He actually mentions that. Peter mentions that five different times here. So what does it look like to have our faith in the name of Jesus? Does it mean we just kind of go around going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? Like you just, you know, name it and claim it. I'm just going to name the name of Jesus and claim everything in his name and it's all going to work out. I don't think so. Actually, if you look in Acts 29... There are a group of people that thought that they could do just that, and they go to cast out a spirit just by claiming the name of Jesus and not believing in who he is, and they get their butts kicked. To do that, actually, I mean, to claim the name of Jesus in our lives without believing in who he is and putting our faith in him, that's to use his name in vain. That's what it means. It's to use his name for vain purposes. What is vanity? It's using it for ourselves to control our world because we think that by invoking it, it's some kind of spell or incantation that we can apply to our lives and things magically get better. See, that's not it. To have faith in Jesus' name is to put your faith, your trust in all that Jesus is and all that he's done and all that he's doing. And Peter understands this reality. His faith isn't in his resources. It's not in his abilities. It's not in his goodness. It's in Jesus. He's going, so if you've seen anything in me that's good, guess where it comes from? It doesn't come from me. In verses 14 and 15, he says, You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. This we are witnesses of. So the implication is, you guys disowned him. He's saying this to the crowds. I, I haven't been disowning him. I, I, I didn't disown the Holy One. I haven't, I haven't rejected the Righteous One. So he's, he's the Righteous One, not me. It's not my goodness, it's his. He's the one who was sent to save me. He's the only Righteous One. And he lived that way on my behalf. And so if I'm able to do this, it's not because of my goodness, but because of his righteousness living inside of me. And let me say this. There is tremendous power and freedom when you no longer have to live a life where you're constantly measuring your goodness. I mean, I I don't know where you are particularly, but if you live your life kind of, looking at everybody else and thinking, man, I'm better than this person, but I'm not better than that one. I need to get better so that I'm better than that one, because if I'm better than that one, then I'm better myself. So you'll know that you're doing this because you're constantly judging everyone else. And you feel shame when you look at certain people, and you feel pride when you look at others. When you have the righteousness of Christ given to you, and you believe it, There is tremendous freedom and joy that comes with that. Because now, those that you perceive to be better, you can learn from without 
without envying their life. And those that you perceive to need help, you can give grace and serve them because it's not about your goodness anymore. But then he goes on, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. So if, if the author of life has come into the story and is now living in the story through the characters, why would a character trust in himself when he has the author living in him? That's what he's saying. Peter says, I'm able to do this because the holy, righteous author of life who gave his life so that I could be free and filled with the same power that raised him from the dead is now living inside of me. And the reason that God has allowed me to do this is so that everyone who saw it would stop putting their faith in other things and begin putting it in Jesus instead. It's the whole reason that this has happened. And so people would go, I've been trusting in the wrong stuff. And that's why he says, repent and believe. Because this Jesus, he goes on to say, is our only hope. There is no other name given to anyone under heaven by which we must be saved. So you may be hearing that for the first time. I'm I'm calling you to believe it. Trust in him rather than in yourself. But you may have been a believer for 20 years and you still don't really believe it. And I want to call you to trust in him more than yourself. See, trusting in the name of Jesus means that instead of putting our faith in our possessions or in what we've accomplished to define who we are as people, we're defined by the fact that we're his possession. Instead of finding our goodness in our own abilities, we find our goodness in the fact that Jesus was righteous for us. Instead of looking to our life and all the things that we've accumulated, the things that we've done to grant us life, we look to the author of life who gave his life so that we could have life. And instead of looking to everything and everywhere else for strength and power, for resources, you'd ask for the power to come from the Spirit who raised this Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that? Are you walking in that? Do you have faith in him? Here's the, here's the truth. I, this is what I've learned. You don't need to have a lot of faith. You just have to have a little bit of faith in the right thing. So we tend to think of faith as going, man, I just don't have enough faith. If only I had more faith. Guess where you get faith from? From the one who gives it. <laughs> Peter even says that. Like, Jesus gave me the faith to actually ask for more. So do you have the faith in the right thing? And even if you have a little bit of it, Jesus is powerful enough to use that, and you can ask him for more. But it means something else, too. It means that we live this way, but it also means for those of us that are in Christ, it means that God is probably, and I would say, well, stronger than probably, placed specific opportunities for you to to walk by faith in him instead of faith in yourself this week. There are things coming in your life this week, opportunities along the road of your life that God is using an encounter with somebody this week or a situation this week that God wants you to reach out a hand 
and in faith in Jesus' name actually live differently. It's coming. Whose faith will you live by when it comes? See, when it happens, will you miss it because you're too concerned with your own resources? And when it happens, will you trust in your, your abilities rather than in God's? Will you say, well, the situation has come, but it's far beyond my ability to handle. I don't have the experience, and so I need a professional. I don't have the money, so I need somebody with more. And hopefully God will bring someone else along in their life to be his witness, his representative. No, he's brought you. It's the reason you're having this whole internal conversation with yourself. So when it happens, will you trust in your goodness? And you go, well, I would do it if only I were a better person. Or will you trust in God's? You'll know because when you do it, you'll point to the one who moved you to do it. So, So often I think, man, as the church, we, we, we do a bunch of good stuff, and then we tell people about our church. What sense does that make? As if it was our church or another church that was the one doing all of the work. Right? And so we raise the banner of our particular logo or our slogan or our brand, and we want people to rally around that brand. What if you, what you did this week, instead of pointing to the fact that you go to a church that tells you to do these things, you would say, the reason I've done them is because I have a God living in me who moves me to do these things. And let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. See, the truth is, God is putting before all of us opportunities for us to experience his power working through us. He's putting opportunities for us to learn how to have faith in him and to give him credit when he does things. In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, God is bringing about these opportunities all the time. So I would ask, do you want to experience the power of God breaking into your everyday life? It's going to require you to live a life that's not just for you. And it's going to cost you. They cost Peter and John. Here they spend a night in jail. It's getting a whole lot worse for them. It's going to cost us to do that. And Jesus predicted that it would. Because he said, if you want to experience the life that I have for you, guess what? You're going to have to kill the life that you already have. It's the only way it works. Those who try to protect their life live it for themselves, under their own rules, with their own power, guess what they experience? They experience the fruit of their life, which is ultimately death. But anyone who gives up their life so that they might have life in me will experience what? Eternal life. That's, just not, that's, that's not just someday when we get to heaven. That's the king breaking into our world now. I want to experience that. And so I have a little bit of faith, a whole lot of head knowledge, but a little bit of passion, a little bit of heart that says, I want to see God do that. God, help my eyes to see what my heart wants to see. I'm convinced that God wants to do more than what we expect of him. 
I'm convinced that he wants us to experience the miraculous together. And I don't know if that's going to look like someone who's lame getting up and walking, but it sure as heck might. I want to experience it, and I want to believe it in my heart that God does those things. And I, I, and I want you to experience them too so that your faith would grow. So we're going to respond and ask God to do that. That's what we do. So we're going to take some time <clears throat> to pray, and we're going to come to the table, and, and we're going to declare and remember God's goodness for us. So if, if you think you've got it all together this morning, don't come to the table. But if you, like me, are feeling like you're in a place of need, that you don't have it all together and you need Jesus' body broken for you and his blood shed on your behalf to forgive you of your sins so that you could stand before a holy God, then please come and declare that to yourself and remember. And then afterwards, what we're going to do, after we've sung our last song, we're going to have some people that are down here that are going to be willing to pray with you and for you. So if you want prayer for healing, come and ask. If you want... If God is stirring something in you and maybe growing faith in you and, and this, this whole thing is new, come and ask for prayer that God would continue to do that. Whatever it is that you need, come and ask for prayer. Have, have, take the risk is what I'm saying. And see if God doesn't do something. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that it, we don't, we don't gather here today because we're good people. We don't gather here because we're people of great ability and great stature and great reputation. We don't gather here today because we're people of great resources that are just using our resources because we have so much to, to just give that we don't have, we don't even need anything for ourselves. We're people that have few resources very little ability, and very little goodness to claim for ourselves. And that's good news. Because when we come, we find that we get all those things from the name of Jesus. And so help us, Lord. Give us faith to believe more than we do now. That Jesus was good enough for us. He has more power than us. And he has far more resources than we do to do far more than we could ask or imagine. Give us the faith to believe it, and then when we see it, give us the faith to share that with one another and with those of us that we come in contact with. We ask this for Christ's name.